You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Good morning. We are continuing to look today at our series on the parables of Jesus. But let me start with a question. How many of you have ever had somebody wrong you? Yeah. Um, All the hands up. Uh, All the hands are up, including mine. We've all had someone who's hurt us, maybe offended us, betrayed us, let us down. We all know how it feels to be hurt by somebody else. And we all know how we have felt towards the person who has hurt us. Probably anger, resentment, bitterness, maybe even, if we're honest, hatred. When people hurt us, we instinctively feel that we want to get some kind of revenge. Um, And choosing to let go of the offence doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. At some point, we will all face the choice of whether to forgive or not. Sometimes it will be because somebody has caused us serious harm, abuse, betrayal, humiliation. And sometimes it will simply be a healthy way to deal with everyday disappointments and offences that are done to us by those who, who we live with and work with. Whatever we're facing, today's parable has a lot to teach us about what forgiveness is, why it's important to forgive those who hurt us, and where we find the power to forgive. So today we're in chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel, and we're looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant, which starts in verse 21, if you want to follow. That's Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. So it starts like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now I imagine Peter feeling rather pleased with himself for suggesting that he could forgive somebody seven times. Because many Jewish rabbis taught that actually three times was sufficient. And I imagine also Jesus smiling at Peter, maybe kindly putting a hand on his shoulder and saying, Oh, Peter, when will you learn? Even seven times is not enough. Try 77 times and you're closer to the mark. And some manuscripts have 70 times seven which is 490 times to forgive somebody. But Jesus, of course, isn't saying 77 times because he expects anyone to keep count. He's saying rather that to illustrate that we need to keep forgiving as long as is necessary, actually without keeping count. Jesus confronts Peter with the truth that the spirit of forgiveness knows no boundaries. And then Jesus goes on to illustrate his point with this parable. So I'm going to read from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had to to be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So what we have here is a king who wants to get back the debt that he is owed. So the first servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or talents was brought to him. He couldn't pay it back unless he was going to sell everything, including his family. So I've done a bit of maths on your behalf this morning. One talent or one bag of gold was the equivalent of 20 years of work. So 10,000 bags of gold was 200,000 years of work. So let's say that you you earn approximately £100 a day, just because the maths is easier that way. This servant owed the king £6 billion. The point is, the point that Jesus is making is that the debt was impossible to repay. There was no way this servant was ever going to repay the debt he owed. But the servant begs the king, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And what we see is that the mercy of the king goes beyond the request for patience and instead the king chooses to forgive the debt entirely and lets the servant go. But let's note that just because the debt was cancelled, someone still had to bear the cost of the debt. And in this case, the king chooses to bear the cost on the servant's behalf. So let's think for a moment about our own debt, the debt we owe God. We all owe him a debt we can never repay. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a story about a king who bears the cost himself, cancels the debt and grants freedom to the debtor. And of course, what we know, which Peter didn't know then, is that Jesus was referring to himself. Because of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, the enormous debt we owe has been cancelled. We have all, each of us, been forgiven and set free. But what is forgiveness? 
Well, we've mentioned before how Jesus used everyday scenarios and examples to help his disciples understand his teaching. And this parable is no exception. And he's using the metaphor of money and debts to illustrate forgiveness. When someone hurts us, there is a debt that is created. And the natural response is to make the one who offended us pay. If we decide to take revenge, what we're saying is, I'm not paying for this, you're paying for this. And you may have heard people say, you may have said it yourself, I'm going to make you pay for this. And we make them pay through our gossip, our slander, giving them the cold shoulder, abuse. We might withdraw our friendship. We might tell lies about them. We might try to ruin that person's reputation. That's how we try to make them pay the debt we feel is owed. And maybe that works. And over time, the debt goes down and you no longer feel the need for revenge. But in the process, making them pay for what they've done twists us into bitter, spiteful people. Or as often happens, revenge becomes a back and forth cycle and never actually goes away. They hurt us, so we hurt them back. And then they hurt us back again, and so on and so forth. Where there's conflict and hurt, a debt is created and someone has to pay. Either we make them pay or we pay it ourselves. And essentially forgiveness is choosing to pay the debt yourself. It's choosing to not punish your offender, but rather to treat them with love and leave the judgment to God. In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sanday shares what he calls the four promises of forgiveness. Number one, I will not dwell on this incident, which basically says, don't keep focusing on what somebody did to you. Don't constantly chew it over and over again. Number two, I will not bring up this incident and use it against you. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, a very famous scripture. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. We don't malign the reputation of the person who's hurt us by constantly repeating the details of what's happened to other people. And number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So that means that you treat the other person with kindness and you pray for them. When you forgive someone by choosing to pay the debt yourself, it is extremely hard. And the absolute opposite of probably what you really want to do. I understand. I have been there many times. But in the end, forgiving the person that hurt us will set us free. But before we go any further, let me clarify what forgiveness is by saying six things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not condoning what someone has done. It's not saying that what that person did is okay, because probably it's not. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. We've heard the phrase forgive and forget, but we don't need to forget it 
but we don't need to dwell on it either. We can intentionally choose to keep it out of our minds. Forgiveness does not mean we don't confront sin if we need to. Matthew 18 verse 15 says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offence. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. This kind of confrontation, however, must come from a genuine desire to be right with that person for reconciliation and restoration and not for some kind of vengeance. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences. So, for example, if somebody breaks the law in harming you, you can forgive them, but they will still need to face the appropriate punishment. Forgiveness is not reconciliation, necessarily. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to have an ongoing relationship with that person if it's not appropriate. It's unlikely that the king in this parable ever hired that servant again. And lastly, forgiveness is a process. It is not a once-only transaction. Jesus was very wise when he said, that you need to forgive someone 77 times or 70 times 7 times <laughs> because it, you have to keep doing it and keep doing it. Maybe today all you can do is decide that you won't take revenge on the person that hurt you and that's a step in the right direction. So then the story continues after the first servant. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who, paid, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to the, his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So back to the maths for you. Based on the same maths that I did before, the second servant owes about 100 days wages, which using the same figures would be about £10,000. So the first servant was let off a debt of £6 billion and he's gone after the second servant and refuses to let him off a debt of £10,000, a tiny fraction of what he owed. And the second servant says, be patient with me, which is exactly the same as the first servant said, he chooses to disregard the plea and throw the man into prison. But when the king hears about what had happened, he gets the first servant back and throws him into prison and gets him tortured, which is actually a far worse punishment than the original one that was going to happen of having to sell everything he owned to repay the debt. Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He states that this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. If we insist on making people pay for what they've done to us, then we will continue to live in a prison of bitterness and anger. We will be tortured by our own feelings of resentment and rage. So why should we forgive? Firstly, because we have been forgiven. The main message of this parable 
is that we forgive because we recognise how much we have been forgiven. If we're struggling to forgive someone, the power to do it can come from remembering the depth of our own sin and how much God has forgiven us. Romans chapter 5 says this, At just the right time, Christ died for ungodly people. He died for us when we had no power of our own. But here is how God has shown his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel. God, through Jesus, paid the debt that we owe, and so we are free. The more we understand this, the more we will be able to show the same kind of grace to other people. We should forgive because unforgiveness can twist us into bitter, vengeful people. The first servant would not grant forgiveness. When we're wronged and we choose not to forgive, we become motivated by a desire to hurt others. We respond to our pain instead of responding to God. As the well-known quote goes, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill someone else. We should forgive because we're not the all-knowing judge. When we don't forgive, we're behaving as if we're the king, when in actual fact, we're servants. It's not our job to judge or punish. Hard as it might be, we must leave it in God's hands and trust that he will bring about a just outcome. And I know how hard that can be. We should forgive because it's one of the best ways to show God to others. Genesis 33 verse 10 is the story of Jacob and Esau where Jacob is finally reconciled with his brother after wronging him many years previously. And he says to Esau, For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favourably. To forgive someone else is like showing them the face of God. There's a lovely story to illustrate this point. In 2006, gunman Charles Roberts entered an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, taking several hostages before shooting 10 children, killing five of them, and then committing suicide. Within hours, members of the Amish community had visited the killer's parents and expressed sympathy for their loss and support for the hard days ahead. Half the people attending the funeral of the gunman were Amish. Letting go of grudges is a deeply rooted value in Amish culture, and this example powerfully demonstrates how this Amish community showed the face of God rather than taking revenge. Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. 
When we're hurt, we have an opportunity to showcase the gospel in a way that few others do. It doesn't mean God caused our suffering to happen, but it does mean that he can use it for good. And that's all well and good, but how do we forgive? It's really hard. First of all, decide that you want to forgive. It's a process, we've said that already, but it begins by, by you deciding that you want to be free of resentment, bitterness and anger. But be prepared to keep forgiving 77 times, 70 times, seven times, however many times it takes, every time the negative feelings rise up within you. Keep forgiving, be intentional, keep persevering. Don't put a limit on how often you need to forgive. Understand how much you've been forgiven. We've said that already. Reflect on this reality. Understand the depth of God's love for you and what Jesus did on the cross to pay the debt you owe. Take pity on your offender. The king in this story took pity on the first servant. He was moved by compassion for the servant's misery. There's a meme on social media that goes around sometimes which says something along the lines of everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. We need to recognise that sometimes people act out of fear or ignorance or things that are going on in their own lives that are causing them to hurt and they lash out. We can all make bad decisions. We're all capable of hurting people without meaning to. In Luke's Gospel, we read the extraordinary account of Jesus, how whilst he was being crucified, was moved with concern for those causing the suffering, exclaiming, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In his greatest moment of suffering and pain, Jesus was interested in forgiveness. He was filled with compassion for others instead of focusing on his own hurt. Another way to help us forgive is that we need to trust that God is a wise and sovereign judge. It's not wrong to want justice and punishment and accountability, but we are not God. We are not the judge. We might want to take God's place because he is, we feel he's not punishing the people in the way that we want them to be punished or in the timing we think they should be punished. And we might feel that they are getting away with it. Romans 12 verses 17 to 21 is very clear about this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Believe that God will bring justice. 
He looks at all the wrong in the world and he gets angry. Bringing justice is not our job though. Our job is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. 1 Peter 2 verse 23 describes Jesus' example of this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We need to follow that example. How else do we forgive? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Sometimes if a hurt caused is particularly painful, it can be hard, impossible even, to forgive. You sometimes hear cases where a person maybe wounds another person or maybe even kills them deliberately or otherwise and on the news you'll hear the family of the victim say something like, we can never forgive them for what they've done. And do you know what? That's an understandable point of view. I get it. But for all the reasons we've already heard about, it's a really unhealthy point of view. I'll be honest, I have felt like that at times. The only way I've got through it and been able to even begin the process of forgiving is to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. And slowly, slowly, I have come to realise over days, weeks, months, years sometimes, that I no longer hold those feelings of resentment towards the person that's done me wrong. Don't, it, sometimes I've gone backwards and then I've gone forwards and sometimes I've gone backwards again and found it really hard but keep, I've kept pushing through and I have found that in time with the Holy Spirit's help I can forgive the person that's hurt me. So let me finish by reading a story that I think sums up this topic of forgiveness simply and beautifully. A couple married for 15 years began having more than the usual amount of disagreements. They wanted to make their marriage work and they agreed on an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip of paper in the fault box. The boxes would provide a place to let each other know about daily irritations. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, leaving the jam lid off the jar, teaspoons in the sink, not the dishwasher, dirty socks on the bedroom floor. On and on, she filled in the slips of paper and put them in the fault box until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, the husband and wife exchanged their fault boxes. The husband opened his box and reflected on all he had done wrong. Then the wife opened her box and began reading the many, many slips of paper. They were all the same. The message on each slip simply said, I love you. Jesus is just like this. He doesn't keep a record of all the wrongs we do. He simply says, I love you, I forgive you. Knowing that once we fully understand this, It will transform our lives for the better. Amen.